I'll tell you, the only reason we're doing video is because normally me and Clark are in the room together and we can read each other better. But because he's in Arizona right now, we're doing it. So don't worry. We're not going to throw the video up on Twitter without telling you. We just released his audio, but um, because I sold my soul to uh, corporate overlords, I have to be in Phoenix for a third of the year. So. Oh, well. Well, and it's the hot thunderstorms in Phoenix right now. So Where are you? you have a little southern twang, my friend. Where are you from? I'm originally from Mississippi. Okay, all right. But uh, um, yeah, so- it was it was um, that was a, a real injury, and I was I listened to that episode and I thought it was very good and very funny. You guys are great. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed it. And I and I was, as I'm like listening, I'm like I was like kind of answering the questions, and my, my husband's like, "They can't hear you." I'm like, "I know, but I need to tell them." And then I sent you guys an email. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, I am a crazy Halloween person fan, and I throw when it's not a COVID year. Um, I throw a really really big Halloween party at my house. I've, done, I've been doing it for 17 years now. Um, oh wow! And we do like the. The whole house, like it's basically like a move because we like take everything pretty much and we change it, and it's all like a haunted house and it's special effects and it's really fun. It's just because I'm obsessed with Halloween. I've been collecting stuff over the years and I build stuff and I make stuff and I work in film. So yeah. since she was four year old, four years old, in case you're doing the math. No. Oh wow. Uh, no, I wish I was. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, I was. Uh, even though I knew I was leaving for Canada to shoot just a few days after the large Halloween party, I was still like, I'm still going to do it and I can still make it to Canada and I'll be fine. And the night before the Halloween party, so I have a pool um, in the backyard and I had this vision to make it like a Pirates of the Caribbean set. Um, and I built like actual like theater flats and it was like this whole thing. And we had all these pirate, you know, skeleton pirates and I had like movie lighting <clears throat> And I was lighting it and I like took a step back to like get a picture with my cell phone to make sure I was happy with the lighting. And I forgot the pool was behind me when I took that step back and I just like fell backwards into the pool um, in October, which actually isn't that cold. I'm in North Carolina, so it actually wasn't too bad, but it sort of happened before I even knew what was happening. I was just, like underwater in the dark, so it was nighttime and I like get up and I'm like laughing at first. And everyone that's with me, they're kind of like, okay, she's okay, she's laughing. And then I took a step on my, you know, leg, and that was even in the water. And I was like, oh, fuck, I think I broke something. Um, and I've never broken anything before, but it was a pain like like nothing I'd ever experienced. And the very first thing, I'm like, fuck, I'm leaving in two days to go shoot a movie. How are we going to shoot this movie? This like, please, please just have this be a little little twist, a little sprain, something like that. And so went to the ER and was there. When did you first text me? Were you on the way to the ER? Were you in the ER? I just remember this frantic. I think I might have been in the ER because I didn't want to like say anything until like I knew it was actually worth saying something about and making our director like, you know, get get worried or upset. Um, So yeah, I ended up, you know, in the ER for many hours and then I don't know, two in the morning, they let me go with a giant brace, and they were like, well, they, they did x-rays, they said, it's not broken, but very likely that you have, like, a torn ACL or MCL, and you're going to need to come back for an MRI soon, you know, like, in the next couple of weeks, so that we can figure out what the treatment will be for what you have, and um, I couldn't do that, because I was leaving in two days, so I was like, well, I'm going to take this brace, 
and I will see you in a month. <laughs> like, that's all I can do. Like, there was nothing else really to do. So um, we decided to just roll with it. And uh, wasn't maybe the greatest decision because I ended up having that knee surgery after because like being uh, in a brace for a month is like not good for your leg, like for anything, like stops other muscles from working and you like, sure. yeah. So yeah. yeah, so that, that I had, it was a little laparoscopic surgery, so I, I don't want to like make it too dramatic. It was, it was not a big deal. Um, but we, we love medical talk on the show, so please. Oh, okay. yeah, yep. I mean, it wasn't very exciting. I wish it was. They, they, I mean, I was under for, you know, some amount of time. And when I woke up, I was cold and emotional because that's always what happens when they give you like the anesthesia. But um, no, I just, and then it was a lot of physical therapy after that. And my knee is fantastic now it's it's as if you know i only i'm like i'm like an 85 year old woman i'm like i only feel it on the rainy days you know <laughs> but, uh, so we, we we did we had to like maron we were like ah oh, we gotta rewrite this character a little bit yep. i mean we did discuss pushing the film off but yeah. you were you were like no we're gonna do it but i mean we considered oh, we had it everything paid for and lined up and this is a low budget you know like it's not like we could just easily just shut everything down and make it yeah. happen again. Like sure. we would lose a lot yeah. of money and yeah, and we didn't and have the kind of insurance that would basically cover production while we waited. Like, yeah, we're not that fancy. So. Yeah. Yeah. And also, it's it's interesting. Like, like we're talking about it right now, and it started like an interesting conversation between Russell and myself because Russell was like, "I think it's real," and I was like, "I hope it's not real. I hope she's fine." Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, like, I, I think, yeah, it's definitely the right call to, to make. And, you know, you you being, you know, the, the you know, champion you are, you battle through it. Because uh, otherwise, you know, yeah, if this was a bigger production, like, you know, obviously, you know, we're looking at, you know, liabilities and then, you know, legal, legal situations and trying to get in there and, mm -hmm. you know, put their fingers in the yeah. situation. But you guys see, that's why we that's why we love independent film. We get stuff like this, you know. Now, I, I want to mention. Uh, the film is streaming right now, and you sh everybody listening, you should go rent it on Amazon. And I do want to talk about things that could be spoilers, but I, I mean, I know the people listening to the show, they're smart, and they could roll with it. Some of them are smart. I True. And I really have to mention that, you know, found footage, just the format, is constantly in a struggle with being um, believable. Like, you're you're asking people to buy into this alternate reality, and I really think your injury helped. And I, there's a moment that I think about. Uh, there's a shot of you doing a seance in the basement and you trying to get on the floor with just, it looked so hard, but it read <laughs> completely real. And it, it was like, it wasn't comedic. And it just, it looked, it was fucking, it was cool. I've never seen anybody with like a leg injury get down on the floor to like try and contact. <laughs> it was hard. <laughs> but, it, but I mean, it didn't, it didn't ruin the tension either. It actually kind of added to it because yeah. Yeah. we're in California. We don't have basements here, but like mm -hmm. the idea of one going underground and you're kind of limited in how you can escape, but knowing that you had trouble even getting on the ground, getting up and running up the stairs just seemed like it wasn't a plausible escape for you i don't know i i really liked it and thank you now don't take this the wrong way but i if you heard the episode i mentioned that the the we got to talk about the youtube opening uh -huh. now i wasn't familiar with the mind seed tv dude but mm -hmm. the minute i looked him up i understood and i'm like oh this guy is huge 
Yeah. You've got yeah. such a following. And I understand, like, why you would want to book and or even present the film the way you did. But you, you kind of put the narrative in a tough position of constantly checking against, like, another reality. Because we had the we had the YouTuber who was reviewing the footage, and he was putting the weight of this is real on the film. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, found footage we already have that weight, but I felt like it really doubled down. And then also adding the you know, the whole dark web element as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that was actually so that was not written uh, in the original version of the script. Um, we were actually in Canada on our location scouting trip like two months before we started shooting. Yeah, you were telling me that you had come across some of this stuff. Well, it was because, so we were, it, so the house that we shot at um, in Canada is actually my my family's, uh, my relative's cottage. It's actually been in my family for many, many years. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to shoot there, because it's like, hey, it's free. <laughs> and it's got all this old shit in it. And, you know, really my family uh, pretty much only uses it for, like, family reunions and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> Great location. Thank you. Yeah. Also, you know, when I was watching the film, I could feel that it was real. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. It's, it's real. And it is scary in its own right. Like, there's definitely yeah, stuff in Well, yeah, because, that's, because it, it felt genuine. It felt lived in. Like, this, this place has a history. So, mm-hmm. so many times we look at locations. That's a huge part of location scouting, right? You want to make sure that, you know, you get some sort of you know, genuine lived in feeling from that. And we definitely get that from, from, from this cabin. Honestly, the distance is what really made me believe it was real. Cause it felt like, I don't know if it was just the filmmaking, but it felt like y'all were way out in rural Canada. And I'm like, "Eh, I feel like it could have been Airbnb anywhere. Yeah. We wanted to show the journey up there. And Lana was so good about, she had been there so many times, she kept telling me about these various aspects of going up there and of visiting this place. And it is rural. And so then when we went and scouted and I I saw how far it was, I mean, it definitely was important on a couple of reasons. Number one, to show the distance. We, We kind of got really lucky with the fact that there was like no snow when we, like literally the day we arrived. And then we had snow like right away. And it just, it worked so perfectly to show that snow because as we're driving up there, we get into that snowy landscape and it, it really helped transport everything. It also adds another layer of like, you can't get away. Like, I mean, I'm from the Bay Area and I've never lived in like, you know, I don't know what winter means. And he's uncultured his way. Yeah, exactly. And the idea of like, oh, the roads could be snowed over and you have a leg injury and you're in a basement. Yeah. It just felt like you guys were screwed. Mm hmm. But again, yeah, back to the mind seat. I'm super curious how you guys hooked up with it. Yeah, so what I I wanted to say was, so we were in the house there for our sort of location scouting trip. We were like booking all the, you know, the little shop and all these, you know, other various locations we wanted. And we were staying in the house and we were blocking it like while we were there, like uh, Mehran, myself and our other producer, Kevin, the real Kev Mo. Um, the film is very meta it's kind of about three of us <laughs> so um we all went up there and uh they were really scared of everything because they're both kind of city boys like, like kevin's from orange county california mayron's from chicago not scared um, cautious, grew up- cautious. What? not scared cautious yeah, okay. <laughs> like horrified of like the sound of crickets and stuff like just freaking the fuck out and like you know one night i actually like we went for a walk and we were shooting on the street just kind of like running through some of the scenes and how we would block it on that road. And I decided to go run in the corn. And this is like September 
and just like a field of corn and I run in the in the corn and they were like uh, nope. I was like, I wish I could like play. I have the audio. But it's very funny. The two of them were just like, let's just fucking leave her because I'm not going in there. I'm not going in there, man. Like they were just freaking out. I stayed in there for a while. I'm not afraid of corn. Like, <laughs> but that night we're we're sleeping in different rooms and they they have the room with the two beds and I'm like in the other room next to the pink room in the movie. And I'm like trying to pull up some some creepy sound effects like on YouTube to like scare them like if they heard like a moaning or something like would they freak out and then I could like shoot them freaking out I thought that would be funny and as I'm looking for creepy sounds like Mindseed TV pops up and I'm like dark web what what and I like start watching and I'm like Mayron <laughs> this is how our footage is found like we should try this it, it was actually it wasn't immediate that we but we started talking about that we were like, hey, you know, let's just like reach out to the dude and see if he'd be interested. And, you know, so we did. And he was interested. He's, he's a pretty cool guy. And um, there is actually, if you go on his channel on YouTube, there is an episode. I forget what it's called. It's like most extreme. Dark it was like experience. Halloween of 2019. 19. Did it. Yeah. So he actually does open everything. It's, it's what we we show a tiny bit of at the beginning of our film, like he calls back to, on my last episode, I found this and this and this, right? There actually is an episode- It's like a half hour deep dive he does. That is literally just all yeah. evidence that we sent to him from props that we were going to use in the film, and he made a whole entire episode about it. Oh, wow. Uh, like, again, wow. a year before the movie was even released or something. Yeah, so, so, so yeah. a lot of people still kind of actually think it's real. And he hasn't right. really come out and said either way on his right. end, which I, I think is kind, kind of adds to it all. Yeah, um, if you read the comments, you have so many people who are like, wait, does this have something to do with the Curse of Aurora movie? Or like, he doesn't say <laughs> a word. And I kind of like that. So, um, but anyway, that's the long story of how we got Casey and why we decided to have uh, those bookends. Well, yeah, would, that's the way to go. We spent a lot of time recently talking about the Blackwell Ghost franchise because we we've sort of are, are late on that, and uh, we we've gotten it in the past few weeks and love it. We've binged the whole. We binged all five movies within like two three days, and uh, you know he he does that same thing. So you know he's he's playing games with the Facebook community and getting everything going. So you know I think that's a huge part of of the you know, subgenre of found footage. Yeah. Yeah, YouTube is it's really opened up a whole new path for like ways to like incorporate like uh, verisimilitude in just uh like it's people filming themselves. And I think the the one thing about the Mind TV dude is I think he was just so popular that people started copying the like Dybbuk box kind of thing where they open it up and they're like, "Oh, there's a ghost in here." And I I had never seen his production of that but I'd seen a lot of people pretending because yeah, normally when right. me and Clark are hanging out, we look for the YouTube videos that have like 50 views, but it's oh, people yeah. trying to imitate that because th that's where the real entertainment that's is. That's where the good stuff is. Yeah. yeah. And that's really all I've ever been exposed to, but man, his, it looks so well produced opening up that film that that juxtaposition was just jarring, but you know, honestly, the leg injury really helped me get back into it. Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't know. It's It seems like you got a lot of uh, reality peppered in your script. Now, how scripted was your movie? Did you do like a loose thing with a lot of interpretation or? No, no. it's very scripted. I mean, it's well, probably 90, 95% scripted. I mean, 
we let the actors, or I let the actors sort of put it in their own words sometimes, but we're very on book. Yeah, we um, we did casting online. Um, we got submissions from, you know, all over the country and some mm-hmm. outside of the country. And we ultimately, we went with Jordan Kaplan, who's also in Hell House LLC 3. He plays the character Matt, if you know that film. Yeah. So he had a little bit of a found footage presence, which we really loved, but um, he just, like, you know, we said our real Kevin is from Orange County. He's not so much of like a, I don't know what you call Jordan. He's like just very hippie. And like Kevin is a little, real Kevin is a little bit like that, but not to that extreme. But we just thought this guy like exudes Cal, like LA so perfectly. Yeah. Um, kind of like the yeah. LA version of Kevin, even though Kevin <laughs> is from out here. He's like the more LA yeah. dude and, and Jordan Kevin in real life is like probably one of the like, nicest like people nice. like on the planet and he was yeah. really good at playing a little shit that was also i thought yeah. kind of lovable and yes some of his his actions were very important plot devices yeah um but i think he did well doing that but uh and then lex wilson who plays aaron um he actually responded from from out here in the raleigh area um my sister's a fantasy writer a novelist he knew her through he's a writer too they and somehow she recommended him and we saw his audition and I was like, this is the best one we've had. Did she um, recommend him or did he come up and then you asked your sister, do you know this guy? Oh, that's, that's right. But anyway, but yeah, so when we, we all met basically for the first time in Canada and we had about 24 hours to hang out before we started yeah. shooting. Um, and I think honestly, like the, I think the casting choices just were, were right because we, we got yeah. along really really well and before long i fully believe these guys are my filmmaking compadres and uh we we, just, we started just kind of joking around with each other and being sarcastic with each other and so some of that stuff definitely some of that ad living definitely got into the film um but if you were to you know read the script and follow along like it's pretty darn close we really didn't um divert too much that's good. You know, outlines really seem the best way to go. And I couldn't tell with your film, which is great. Normally, when people are trying to read lines and act like, you know, it's reality. Oh, man, you can you could smell it a mile away. And um, I think you guys, you, you killed it. Also with Kevin, the character Kevin. You really did manage to cast a dude who was like the most likable kleptomaniac ever. <laughs> he is. Because I, I don't know any other... I've seen a lot of horror movies and a lot of independent ones. I don't know if anybody's ever really stolen the Necronomicon before. It's <laughs> like a narrative device. I yeah. what, Where did that idea come from? The idea of stealing the book. I don't remember exactly how it came up. But, we, you know, we had batted around. It went through a number of revisions. But we wrote the script relatively quickly. I mean, it was all written... I think the first draft was probably less than a month. And then we rewrote it for maybe another three weeks to a month. And, you know, and then, and then there were revisions along the way, like little revisions, little changes. But the idea of stealing, I, I think, yeah, I think it was a way we needed. We needed a way for them to not just get into trouble, but to intentionally get into trouble. Like we wanted them to earn the danger that was coming their way. Well, uh-huh. you know, and yeah, in every horror movie, you kind of have to have at least one complete idiot. Yeah, that's right. That's what you kept saying. Yeah, we need to. One. I mean, yeah, it's it's trophy, and you know, there's ways to write around that. But it just seemed it seemed fitting. We we kind of wanted to show some of the like 
you know, these are sort of disrespectful Americans in some way. Like they don't fully appreciate, you know, where they are and what they're doing. And, you know, especially Kevin being so like, hey, everything's chill. Like, we'll just do whatever we want, man. Like, there's no consequences, you know, that <laughs> kind of kind right. of personality, um, you know, kind of would help uh, get them some of the, the devices that they needed to uh, get into further trouble. Well, you know, no, okay, so when, when me and Clark watch movies, and especially when we're looking at people we want to talk to, like filmmakers on the show, we normally end up watching them with a group. And, you know, it, it's kind of like a privileged thing where we can watch weird Amazon movies and kind of dissect it with five know-it-alls in the room. And one of the things that you can uh, – uh, it doesn't seem to matter what kind of story you're telling. There's, we have a friend who always will be like, uh, if a camera moves into a uh, cabin and there's a shotgun over the, the fireplace, he'll be like, oh, check off shotgun. And he's like, oh, shut up. And I remember like one of our friends made a short film and uh, he was like Chekhov's clothesline and they did kill somebody with it. With the clothesline. Yeah, they did. So he was right. The thing is, by the way, he's talking about me. No, no, it's not you. I do that all the time. Yeah, but you're you're not that accurate. Incorrect. Okay. Incorrect. No, but here, here's the thing. I don't think anybody could tell that the like kleptomania was going to play a major plot point and especially like the way it did it felt so like audacious i don't know i was i don't it was good i mean i rarely do i feel like caught off guard by storytelling like that i mean i i i may have said Chekhov's leg brace so i'll give you that i may have been over one on that there you go yeah, we were over one. Also, Lon, I can't let you casually drop that your sister writes fantasy novels. Yeah, um, she's oh, yeah. a writer. She's published. You can buy her books on Amazon and stuff. She, uh, her last novel is called Queen of None. It's it's an Arthurian uh, fiction, and it's actually really cool because you know Green Knight just came out. Yep. And I was reading. Um, I haven't finished her book because I'm like the worst sister in the world. And she's listening to this. I love you. Don't hate me. Um, because I haven't finished it. But there's like, I don't know. Have you guys seen The Green Knight? Loved it. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I just love that it's like, instead of this like romantic take on medieval times, which you always tend to get, you know, this very Hollywood um, produced version, colorful, beautiful. This was like, it felt gritty. It like made me uncomfortable at times. I was like, everybody's dirty. Their teeth are nasty. Like this feels great. <laughs> And like Merlin, the way Merlin was depicted, he's like a scary dude with like tattoos on his face. Oh, he yeah. does not look like Gandalf or, or you know, your typical blue pointy hat Merlin. Um, and what's interesting is the, I think it's the foreword in my sister's book, whatever, it's like the first two pages where the main character, it's one of Arthur's actual sisters in the legend. You know, he had a number of sisters, Morgana is the mother of the main character in Green Knight. She's the yeah, witch, Gwen. right? Yeah. And so in, in Arthurian like legend, his sisters often had magical powers. And so she decided to write a book about one that hasn't been talked about. Her name is Anna Pendragon. And that book is called Queen of None. But it starts out with this Anna Pendragon being born. And as a baby, she well, she recollects being born. And the first person she sees is Merlin. And she talks about how horrifying he looked. I don't know how oh. remembers that. But I was like, dude, Green Knight just did like your your scene in your book. And I'm like, I need to I need to get the rights to like make this a series or something. Cause and she's got a sequel coming. But yeah, she's her name is Natanya Barron. I don't know if I'm uh and she has a weird name too. N-A-T-A-N-I-A 
B-A-R-R-O. Oh, we already got it. Oksana pulled it up already. I'm going to get it. Ben Ben is a great fantasy writer name, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Cool. My parents wanted original names. (laughs) Well, they killed it. And um, so I, I am a, oh, man. I'm a very outspoken fan of fantasy films, and Clark uh, is very outspoken about hating them. So, okay. all right, Clark, we, we both got to read this book now. <laughs> all right. We are recording the video so I can blackmail you with this later. I'm totally going to do it. I've been, I've been plowing through books. and uh, So you watch The Green Knight? Okay, okay. For, the, for the record, for the record. Yes, he's been plowing through books, but these books are generally short stories concerning <laughs> clowns with poisonous needles and candy bags. Ooh. He told me, yeah. I don't know. You told something about a clown rodeo man or something. Did you read this book? Oh, let's keep going. Oh, there we go. Is that the prop from the film? That is. This is. This is. And um, the reason I have it is because I made this shit. Oh. Oh wow. Yeah. (laughs) What's in it? With the help of Miron, who is also in his other life a graphic designer and is very very good at it. Um. So he designed, he designed, this is probably going to show backwards, but we basically like took pages out of an old book and like printed the actual shit we wanted. This, the the actual book itself, this is called the Russo-Japanese War. Um, And I got it at like a super creepy old bookstore and we, uh, using um, gold ink and stamps, we did all this, but this was already on the design of the book. So the book looked creepy when I found it and I was like, this is going to be the one. Um, I mean, when you're low budget, you got to make your own right. stuff. It works. It looks great. No, for sure. And you know, uh, so often, like the uh, evil book in these films are so like overdone. I think um, what anything for Jackson had like a really good Necronomicon, but it was kind of like the far end. Like if you're on the uh, the conservative end of this pendulum swing, that movie's on the other. And otherwise, they're all kind of boring. It all looks like faux human skin. I don't know. I liked it. Yeah. Now, now I got a question for uh, for a director here. Mayron, what's now, up? What, you you were scared to say Mayron, weren't you? I, I honestly wasn't thinking about it. Uh, I would, I would, I was scared when we did it. Um, <laughs> it's Chekhov's Mayron. How about that? I could say Mayron. I, so I was trying to get Clark to commit to Marin because he's a Mark Marin enthusiast. <laughs> I think that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I would feel embarrassed. So, Mayron. Yeah. Now, was it always at any point when you were writing the script? Now, did you write it? Did you guys co wrote it? Yeah, co wrote We co wrote okay, it. Okay. At any point, were you going to be in front of the camera? Uh, actually, there was a very brief point that I was going to be in front of a camera. And I think when we went up and did the. Um, actually, now I can't remember if when we went up and did the scouting trip, if we already had people cast. Lana, do you recall that? Uh, no, we were, we were, we were reviewing the video, the submissions while we were there. Right. So I think, I think the plan was, it was going to be me, Lana and Kevin actually in the movie because we were trying to do it. Like we did the movie low budget. We were trying to do it like bottom of the barrel, low budget. Like, can we make a movie for like almost literally nothing? And so it was going to be the three of us. And, and I think the original one, when we were writing the script was literally, I would have been behind the camera even more than than Aaron, than uh, Lex Wilson was behind the camera. I don't think it was ever going to hand it to anybody else. In fact, a lot of that changed because of your broken leg, your broken knee, because 
originally you were Lana, the Lena character was supposed to drive the car a lot because in real life, Lana likes to drive because she gets motion sick or whatever. So she's always in the driver's seat. So we did that. So it would have been actually her on camera more. And so that, that was part of what we were trying to write in. And then we ended up having to change that, which is great because um, we got, we got to see Aaron on camera more, but I think the first, the first, uh, the first one to drop off was Kevin was like, I don't feel comfortable being on camera at all. Yeah, I was like, I'm not an actor, guys. I, produce. I, I don't do this. You know, I was yeah. like, come on, anyone can be an actor. You just got to try. <laughs> and I wanted it to feel stilted and whatever, but then it was, it was, it just became something where it, I'm not an actor. I mean, I've done tiny little parts. I do have a cameo in the movie, which you guys probably have saw in the, in the grocery store, Mr. Canada with the Canada Canada uh, fanny pack. I oh, know. awesome! That's me. <laughs> Wait, if you watch it again, if you ever feel the need to watch it again, yes. Kevin, when he when he steals the beer at the very the beginning, beer. when he yeah. closes the door and walks away, there's just this dude standing and looking yeah. at the camera, and that is Mayron. And yeah. he, we bought him this ridiculous fanny pack that has this big Canada logo with the maple leaf. With the maple leaf. Because everyone in Canada, of course, is going to wear a Canada maple yeah, leaf because watch fanny pack. Thought it was funny, my little Hitchcock moment. So yeah, but I really wanted to be able to like really direct the movie also. So that was part of it, and and it's so much. Especially I, I did operate the camera sometimes. Like sometimes when you think it's Aaron behind the camera, it's actually me. Not very much, maybe ten percent of the time or something. I specifically in the scene with when they're playing when they're when they're playing dead in the street or when 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 they're laying in the street and just smoking. Uh, I'm behind the camera for more than half of that scene. Just there's like a handoff that happens. And uh, there's a couple of things like that. So it, it, it really opened me up, not acting, opened me up to to be more in control of what's happening and what, what we're framing. Because there's a lot of really careful framing in the movie um, on purpose to sometimes make you think there's going to be something in the background and other times to give me room to play something in the background. Um, and so, so, you know, my chops for acting and directing are not going to... Something's going to suffer. And also putting a, a talented actor, and I was so happy that we... We got Lex to play that. I, I like the fact to to be able to expand that and make it that much more believable. Hey man, it's it's a testament to the filmmaking. I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell there was another person back there. And I I remember this one review on a found footage critic, yeah, mm-hmm. where they were covering a Ty West's film, The Sacrament. I haven't and seen that. Okay, so it's it's um a, kind of a retelling of Jim Jones, and oh, okay. it's like if Vice had sent a reporter out there and they were filming it. Exactly. Now, yeah. the, the the one critique that stood out to me where I'm like, wow, like we watch a lot of found footage, but this just felt like too far. They uh-huh. mentioned that the filmmaker, which um, who actually who was shooting that movie? It was the Mumblecore guys. Clark, I can't think of their names right now. The Duplass. No, 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 it wasn't Duplass. Joe Swanson. And it, it wasn't Joe Swanson. Swanberg, Swanberg. Swanberg. Yeah, Swanberg. Yeah, Swanberg was in that. Oh, what? Wait, he, he was in it or he uh, or he, he directed it? He, he was in he it. He acts in it, yeah. Oh, he acts in it, okay. He acts in it. Ty West directed it, and Swanberg's one of the characters who plays the cameraman. Oh. And uh, it. so at one point when um, things get a little chaotic, he hands off the camera to a, like, uh, person living in Guyana and uh, they rip the movie apart for the film quality not dropping. They're like I, uh, he picked a random cinematographer apparently because the quality and the framing never changed and I just remember thinking that's a bridge too far. Like what the hell are we talking about? Like do we really want the film to become harder to uh, 
interpret because you know a civilian has it now but it's that's a dogma 95 shit yeah for sure but it it i suddenly found myself becoming aware of the camera language in a different way when the camera got handed off and i never could tell that you were back there and honestly i always imagined it would be so much harder to direct a found footage film without being in it maybe i mean i didn't find it hard we pretty much treated most of the filming as I don't remember how many scenes in total were in the film, but it was basically like each one was a small play. And we, we had our setup, and we just treated it that way. And, and the three actors that were in most of the movies, which was um, Lana, Lex, and, uh, and Jordan, they, you know, they, they ran these things front to back. And like, the hardest one was the big climactic sequence before the, the one where, where, the, where the, the tarot card reader actually comes to the house, where Blanche comes to the, to the house. And we actually ran that. That was the longest scene in the film. I think it's about nine or ten pages. And I really wanted it to run continuous. So we had people outside, we had people at the ready. We had we had a, our other producers on walkie-talkies outside, so that we could have everything happen as one continuous. Yeah, thing. That, that was like where I think it kind of starts with like they get upstairs from after doing the seance, and then like yeah. the radio does shit, and then like you know all like all the cabinets fly open, oh, yeah, and, no, like, the earthquake scene yeah. across the room, and like. So that was all, you know, 100% practical. And we had about yeah. six people standing all, you know, around the house with different, uh, you know, triggers, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, some of them had a fishing line that they would have to pull. Someone else had to slam a door. Um, we actually had these little, like, spring um, things that, that our, our, uh, special, our, our practical effects guy created and actually inserted into the cabinet so that on Pop a button board. crash, they would fly open. They were actually like spring rigged. Um, yeah. And then we had we had a glass that was tied to a fishing line that had to fly across the room, hit the refrigerator, fall on the floor. You know, all these things had to happen at once. And we had to run it continuously because at the time we didn't actually think that we would cut and use like glitches to kind of help with maybe if we didn't have the right footage that we needed later, we ended up doing that. So we were never intending on cutting. So this was going to just be continuous like a the- theatrical production and every effect had to be on at the mm-hmm. exact right time. Everyone had to have their mark. And so there was a lot of pressure um, on that, but we, and we only had four chances to do it because we could only afford for breakaway wine glasses because they're very <laughs> yeah. fucking expensive. Yeah. And, you know, we had spent our budget on a lot of stuff not thinking that they would cost that much. And then it was like, oh, man, because they make them sent to Canada, and that's really pricey. So we had four chances to do it. We actually did it in three, and we got to take that final glass, and we did like very much like a Jewish wedding, and we put it yeah. in, in a cloth, and we stepped on it at the end. We were like, yeah, we deserve to break this one ourselves. But... Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of practical stuff going on. And, and again, it was very much like doing a play and we couldn't really get our lines wrong. And, and that's where some of the ad-libbing, I think, was very helpful. It's like yeah. we would keep the scene going no matter what. Like we would just, if something happened, we'll just make that be a part of it. And with found footage, you can kind you have a little more flexibility with those things because sometimes an error or something that like, oops, you know, 
is actually more, it feels more genuine in found footage. But that's not to say we always just ran with, with whatever it was there and just let it go. I mean, there were, there are a couple of scenes in which we did 18, 19 takes of a particular scene to make sure that everything was firing on all cylinders and that, you know, the acting was there and that the framing was there. Because a lot of times, I'm, like I said, most of the time I'm not operating the camera. Um, in, in the in the earthquake scene, the camera is actually handed to me. And what's so crazy is there's like the chase, the sofa has like a chase lounge with a, with a cushion on it. So the way we actually accomplish the, the feeling of the camera motion, like that's not done in post at all. It's we took the cushions off the couch. There was one main cushion on the couch. The camera's handed to me as loosely as possible to make it look like she just drops it on the couch. And then when the earthquake starts happening, I'm on my knees behind the camera. I framed it up a certain way, like we had little marks on the couch. And then I'm literally like, hitting the cushion on both sides of the of the couch and what it's causing is it's causing this very organic because when i tried to shake it by hand it didn't feel right so when we just started hitting that it created this turbulence in the cushion which caused it to look very natural and then it would settle and then we actually had cushions on the floor so i could knock the camera over when we wanted it to spin off it worked really well no it did that's that's incredible it's funny uh, we shot a dumb uh, promo for our film fest um like four years ago and we wanted a camera to drop and mm. just that whole like what do we do besides just drop the camera <laughs> right. the thing? Yeah. It, it's such a weird yeah. position to be in especially yeah. when you are trying to like capture like verisimilitude um second time uh, put another dollar in the jar i'm sorry it's such a good word for it for like you know chasing reality mm-hmm. um I, I have to commend you too. You really packed this film with like fun stuff for the audience. Like we we have an earthquake. We have Easter egg like laid all throughout the movie. I love that like visual candy that you did. But also we have like a cult. We have like a Necronomicon type book, dude. Mm-hmm. You loaded this thing up. At any point was that like was it daunting? Were you like how? It felt natural to me. It felt like we were just like, I, I think the way that we approach it, I remember telling Lana, think of a few scary things and I'll think of a few scary things and let's see how we can weave them. And she came up with some great stories like from her life and I did the same and, you know, we just sort of made them more, right? Yeah. Well, also yeah. The, the way that you just adapted to like that house, I love how those closets connected together. Yeah. That is like truly like creepy. Yeah, when I was a kid growing up, when my mom would take us to go visit you know, our Canadian relatives up there, like that was always our entertainment. My sister and I, we were like, it's Narnia, and bye, see you in five hours, or <laughs> never again, you know? Like, okay, never again. And, and those closets, I, I don't know why, it's just like the way the house was kind of built, it, I guess it had all this additional space in the walls, and so they made it closets and they all do kind of connect to each other in this like weird labyrinth and so um whenever i've taken friends up there over the years i'm always like that that tour that my character gives of the whole house is really the tour that i give to everybody that i take up there so when we wrote the script i knew exactly I'm like oh i say this and i say this because that's what i always say when i take people on the tour but that closet is kind of like the favorite part and it's a small house but then it just it's just amazing how how big the closets are we didn't show you there's the other side there's there's actually more closets they don't connect to that one so there didn't seem to be an easy way to get that in the film but um <laughs> does the house and, seem large to you guys or small like what is it like as somebody totally uninitiated go ahead clark felt large to me 
Huh. I thought it, I thought it I'm, felt I'm five foot four. So yeah, okay. it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's a very small house, like very small house. Yeah. I well, should note too, if for anybody who's seen the film out there who, who is interested in this kind of fun behind the scenes stuff, in that scene when I do the closet tour and Kevin takes this Bible, he thinks it's a Bible, and he and he opens it up and there's hair in it. And and I'm like, dude, that's my great grandmother's hair. Like that was they kept it when she died and whatever. That is my actual great-grandmother's hair that they kept when she died. I don't know why. In the um, Bible? Yeah, it's she like used her. to like, dye it black, and she had very, very long, long hair. And when she died, I guess it's some Catholic um, like wakes or, or whatever, Like they'll give you these, these, these empty box Bibles to keep the candles that were burned and, and maybe like a little... Uh, Wait, it wasn't an actual Bible. It was like a hollow book. It's a right? box, yeah. yeah. It looks like a Bible, but you open yeah, it up right. and it's a box. You know? Oh, okay. So not the Holy Word. All right, good. Yes. No, no, it's not actually, but like, but inside, you would, mm -hmm. that would be your keepsakes from the wake or the funeral. So it would have, you know, just like I say in the film, like these are the candles they burned at her thing, and this is the scripture that they read or whatever, and then this is a bag of her actual hair. And that was actually not in the original script, and we got yeah, a lot of that stuff was on the fly. We decided to just do it because it was creepy, and why not? Yeah. Also, uh, are they lying, Clark? He grew up in a mortuary, so if y'all are telling tales, he should be able to spot it. <laughs> Sounds accurate to me. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. We also like there's a special brand of like French Canadian Catholicism, and I feel like it's kind of older and more traditional. And um, yeah, a lot of yeah. those like, those keepsakes and, and icons and, and that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, it's funny. Now, I totally believe you that it's real. Yet it out of everything, out of your whole, per personally, you, your journey through that movie, everything read true except for that. That felt yeah. like it was like a prop. Like, oh, yeah, okay, that I get totally it. That's an interesting prop. idea. Oh, yeah. my God. All right, dude, the next time I go up there, you know, <laughs> I'm going to take a little piece of that hair and I'm going to put it in an envelope and I'm going to send it to you. Oh, I'll frame it. Honestly, not the first time we've gotten hair in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. Some people were a little offended. Didn't you have some issue with like some of your family? How could you I mean, use this stuff? No, I mean, there were some like very distant family yeah. members that I don't even really know that reached out on Facebook and they were like, they sent me like in French because they didn't actually speak English. They were like, they were a little offended that some of the photographs in the house are actually photographs of distant uh, family members of mine. Um, and I guess they were just a little bit like, why didn't anyone talk to all of us? And I was like, well, my mom, she actually is the one now that owns that house. And those are all her items. And she gave us full permission to use everything. And I mean, I, to my family out there who, the ones that don't even understand what I'm saying right now. I love you. And we did, we were as respectful with the house as we possibly we really were. And even after we did that scene with my grandmother, I remember like I put it back very nicely and I put my hand on it and I was like, thank you, great grandmother. I really appreciate this. And, um, you know, tried to be, tried to be as respectful as possible. So. And then you went to the basement and did a seance. <laughs> Yeah. Well, another, the, the, uh, there's a rusty old rosary um, that's hanging in the basement when I take them down for the basement tour that's like one of the first things I show them and then Kevin's like what's a rosary and I explain that to him that rosary 
is is always hanging there and has been my whole life. And no one in the family really knows why my great grandmother put the rosary right on that beam as you walk down. So I'm like, there's only one reason someone will put a fucking rosary, you know, at the entrance to the basement. It's because there's some shit down there that she knows is there and she does not want to deal with it. So this is her protection. Um, not all that thing is a lot of just real creepy stuff. And that's why we want to shoot there. We were like, look, we need to we need to get a project. We need to get something out. Our goal was to, to shoot a film or write a film, shoot a film and get it distributed within a year and we did it and mm-hmm. and uh you know we knew we could use that house for a really great price and i knew it was creepy so i was like let's just write to the creepiness of the location and the house and yep. you know let's just create a story well i feel like even that made it in the movie because what so you know it, back in the early aughts when people would try and pick apart every found footage film one of the things would be why are they filming and i love the idea that you guys had where it's like well Let's try and we're trying to figure out what movie we want to make. And then, you know, a haunting kind of happens. and You're like, why don't we use this? I thought that was a great premise. Thank you. I think that's fun as well. Like, it's, I, I, well, that's the part that I like when I when, when I've watched it again. It's always like, oh, yeah, it really does kind of take that twist where they're like, no, now this is what we're doing now. This is it. Well, it also feels like the uh, acceptance of like folly, too, where it's like, clearly these are warnings and we should get out of here. It, yeah. Instead, it's like, but wait, this could be a really easy way to make a film. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It feels like uh, at that point in the film, we've, we've crossed a line into, OK, this is going to turn into a uh, snuff film now and you're <laughs> all going to die. Right. And, you know, rightfully so. Right. <laughs> um, Mayrano, I wanted to, to go back on something you, you briefly mentioned in passing. We were talking about um, your cameo appearance in the film with your lovely Canadian uh fanny pack and yeah. you said you just said that that's sort of your hitchcock moment but that's uh-huh. not the only hitchcock that we've got in this movie is because russell and i pointed out that um you know there are several sequences where we are hearing um you know french canadians speak and there's uh-huh. not any subtitles there and yeah. russell brought up that that's a very hitchcockian thing so what was that something that was uh planned or did that just happen organically planned no no absolutely planned like uh, when we were writing the script, we actually considered at one point, you know, showing the subtitles, the, what they're saying, like we actually did write, I think we wrote it in English first and then we translated it. I think that's what it was for the, for what they were going to yeah. say. Cause yeah. they wrote, they wrote their dialogue in English and then we right. had it translated. And, but I, I mean, I definitely, I mean, both of us were like, we, we want to put people in the, in the situation where the viewers are actually, you know, their experience, what the characters are. And the best way to do that is to make you feel like a foreigner, but like, well, you don't understand what it is. And if you happen to speak French, well, then you do have an insight into what's happening. But that doesn't mean we're going to help everyone out. And we sure. thought that was a really great way. And that actually ended up being a little bit of a difficulty because we originally released in a French-speaking territory. Oh. And when we considered doing the subtitles, we're like, okay, so if they subtitle it all into French, do they then not show it there? Or do they then put that in English in the subtitle? Yeah. Confusing. And so it's... It was the one language where it's a little bit difficult to, to think about how to do the subtitle. So what did you end up going with? Did you end up subtitling it? It is subtitled. You know, I don't even know right now because I've never seen, I mean, I have the subtitle, but I don't have, I've never watched the subtitled in French version. So I'm not sure. I think that the, I think Cinema's Guzzo did put the language in for even when they're speaking French, but, but I don't know. 
Yeah, because we, we, we were, were considering you know a dubbed version at some point, but yeah, when when we were watching it, we were talking about, um, or I think on the podcast when we were talking about it, I was wondering if you went into Amazon and put on closed caption if it would be in there or not. It's a good no. question. Should it be? If you watch, yes. if you watch our oh, film, with English, one, yeah. yeah, if you watch it with English subtitle or cap, closed captions, it just says. Speaking French, right? That's oh, right. Okay. The illusion is still there. We chose to do that, yeah, yeah, because right. we don't want anyone to understand. And if you do understand, then you're just one of the lucky French speakers who gets to know mm-hmm. a little bit more. You would know much earlier who who is going to be the bad guy, and you know, kind of can understand a little bit of what's happening behind the scenes when you can understand. Yeah. I mean, what they're saying, I think, with is not like major, super duper spoilers, but still, it's more of an insight if you if you have that. No, it it is really cool because Oksana can speak Russian, so whenever that pops up in a movie, me and Clark always just look at it and we're like, "What the hell did they say?" And then half the time, she actually doesn't know. Yeah. Do you want to defend yourself? No. No. Okay. <laughs> we, we had um, just a, a little bit of criticism. Uh, about the French speaking in uh, Quebec, or where that was where our theatrical release happened um, last summer, and some of the biggest you know comments that we got, or most common, were from you know French Canadians saying that they could tell that some of the French speaking actors were not from that specific region because that that rural farm area, kind of like, you know, if you go down south to the farmlands, you know, they're talking like this and you go up to Boston, everybody has like (laughs) regional dialects. And these people were like, well, they're not really from the country. I could tell. Or um, Agat Salzman, who plays Chantel, the one that is kind of the friend that my character knows who's local. She's actually from France, but she's been living in Montreal for years and she goes to school there. But she was highly criticized in, in the reviews from the French Canadians because they were like, how dare they put a Parisian French woman in a French yeah. Canadian role? But that that also speaks more to like the rivalry that like Quebec and France yeah. have always kind of had. Yeah. So we found that funny and we were like, well, it's kind of nice to know that when, when this gets released in an English speaking territory, no one's going to know whether right. they're from France or from Quebec or, or... My ear can't really tell the difference when they're speaking French for the most part, but I was trying to think of how silly it was they were so angry. And then it's like, well, imagine if you just put a British person in the middle of a movie about Texas and pass them off as somebody... Or as a Texan. Texan. I mean, right. I, guess, I guess that is what they're hearing, and I, don't, I just can't hear it. Well, yeah. on, the, on the other side of that, as speaking as a person who has an accent and coming from an area that is uh, very heavily accented, that is definitely something that like Mississippians and Southerners would catch on to. That is a constant yeah. theme that they talk about. Like uh, the movie Driving Miss Daisy always comes into mind because uh-huh. you know that is a movie that is universally loved. However, Dan Aykroyd, a Canadian, a very <laughs> fast-talking Canadian, is playing the son of you know uh, is playing a Georgian. Like, yeah, yeah we we suss that out real quick. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I could tell the accent different. I was furious. I was uh, <laughs> enraged. But all, I mean, do, in America, we do it with fantasy films. It's like any fantasy movie, it's like just give them some sort of European accent. Some sort, yeah. yeah, if you want to set something ancient Rome, they're all British for some reason. I don't know well, why. Like in, in Green Knight, 
they all said Gawain differently. Yeah. Like, like Arthur said Garwin, and someone else was like Gawain, and and, and it's just like wait a minute, you couldn't get all the actors to at least agree. I on think that was a choice. No, I think they did that on purpose. I, and I think it had something to do. I was reading something, and it was something <laughs> to the fact that it's spelled different in different alliterations or something. So they wanted people. You can't well, make that. I thing. think that that probably went over the head then of most people watching it, and most people were just like, "Why can't you just say the name?" I think the whole movie went over most people's heads. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. Maron, Maron didn't. He wasn't like as big of a fan as I. Was. No, I mean, I I loved it, and then I was like, oh, I think I understand what it's about. I'm like, but I'm not sure. So I'm gonna read about it, and then I read about it. I'm like, okay, that's what I thought it was, but I'm not sure that I care that much. I think <laughs> you know, my sister says, yeah. because Arthurian legend is so diverse. Like, there's so many different tales, and no one knows what's none of it's actually real, but. There's just been so many different interpretations that I think that that's the point, is it's interpretive. I think that you're supposed to kind of take what you want to take out of it. I mean, I thought it was beautifully realized and well-acted and the art direction and everything. I liked all that. I was just a little bit indulgent. I mean, there's like that, I think it's a 35-minute scene of him riding a horse towards the camera. I think it was just like there was this section in the middle of the movie where we're just watching him walk forever. Like, but see, okay. that, that's, that's a very David Lowry thing, because did you see a ghost story? I have not seen a ghost story. Okay, well, there's a scene in the ghost story where um, our our main protagonist is mm -hmm. eating a cake unedited <laughs> for about seven to eight minutes. Yeah, <laughs> seems a little indulgent to me. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh yeah, all of his work is. Also, yeah. I just want to point out that Clark didn't even realize this was an Arthurian movie until <laughs> after when I told him. Okay, incorrect. No, you had no idea. Incorrect. Yeah. No, no, no. I just wasn't sure if what's-his-name was King Arthur. And then I was like, you know, he looks... The only King Arthur I know is in uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. That's the, that's, that's the only King Arthur shit I care about. Right? Wasn't Sean Connery King Arthur? Yeah, he was in, in First Night, I think, wasn't he? I don't watch that. Okay. Uh, the only King Arthur he knows is a pizza franchise. Be real. <laughs> you can laugh. It's fine. <laughs> uh, but but so uh, I did want to uh, get on this. How long have you guys been collaborators? Ten years? years? Thirteen years? No, I don't think it's thirteen. Is it? I like Maybe. saying thirteen because it's a good evil number. Let's just say thirteen. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, yeah, it's been a long time. We did we. Maron, um, he kind of came to me. I, I was uh, trying to pursue a career in, in music as a singer-songwriter, and we both ended up working together at a video game company, interestingly mm -hmm. enough, and um, he was yeah, like, I'm trying to develop my portfolio. Do you want to... First, he asked me to be in his first little horror short, actually. Yes. Which is kind of hard to find online somewhere now, but yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and I was actually not going to be around, and so I said, well, let's do something some other time. And yeah. he ended up doing some music videos, which were really uh -huh. fun. My music career did not, you know, do anything. But then I was like, I, I, I majored in theater, uh, musical theater. So it's like music or theater. It was like one or the other. And I was living out in Southern California. And so I think like film making just kind of with you sort of became a thing. We started writing and mm -hmm. we did Committed, which is a short. Um, yes, you guys should watch Committed. Like right now. Free on Let's do it. YouTube. Yeah. It's, it is on YouTube right now, yeah. Yeah, we did pretty well on the film festival circuit with that one. Yeah. Uh, it's a psychological thriller about a mental hospital in the 1950s. 
And it has a, you know, kind of an M. Night twist. I'm not going to try to say that we're like M. Night You can not even say that to people. I, yeah. <laughs> now you're looking for it. Like, never say that to anybody. Oh, come on. Hey, for the I, record, I saw Old twice in the theater. I, and I still haven't really? seen it. I heard it's horrendous. How was oh, it? Oh, it's something special, Mayron. Oh, I it's see. Something it's special. so bad it's good. I think that's what he means. Uh, well, I, you know, I'll let the jury sit out on that one, but okay. uh, it's it's entertaining. Is it Tommy Wiseau's old? <laughs> I, it, it wishes it was Tommy Wiseau's old. Oh, wow. Oh, man. Yeah, dude, I have Mayron on more. I I love I love you just taking shots at these films. All the old dude, the story is really cool. The script is garbage. Uh, okay, you're not, you're not wrong. <laughs> I haven't seen it, so I I'm taking well, a shot. I, at yeah, I listened to your review of it on the episode where you guys talked about Curse of Aurora, and I was like, I think they gave Curse of Aurora better review than old. I'm oh. not 100 percent sure on that, but I think that's what just happened. Yeah. So Clark saw old because he was trapped in Arizona and could only go to a dead mall to do something. <laughs> yeah. I've watched Cursed of Aurora three times now. Really? So, yeah. Yeah, I've seen oh, it three times. Cool. And if I would have had more time last night, I would have rented it again. Wow. But no, I I think your film as somebody you know, we, we host events and we show movies and your film has the appeal of if you got somebody who's being like just like a punk and trying to like Poo poo the night and had negative energy. Your film poo poo the night. I don't. I don't know. My choice of words. You get people who walk in with a little rain cloud over their head, and you could throw on Curse of a Roar, and it, it would shut it down. You're. It's just a fun film to watch. Okay. Yeah. And there's, there's not a lot to pick apart here, so it's just a good solid found footage movie. And also that that as someone you know we we run a found we run a found footage festival we watch a plethora of found footage movies and easy to watch found footage movies aren't always necessarily you know easy to find and there's not a ton of them you know mm -hmm. it's it can be a, a rather challenging subgenre so the fact that you know you can pop something on and then catch the attention of everybody in the room like that's that's something special. I, I leave a lot of the, you know give a lot of credit to the fact that the chemistry of the three actors and what they did was so great, um, and also just to let you know, there's a lot of pain. Like Lana and I basically birthed these movies. A lot of time, it's it starts with the core of the two of us, and there's tons of arguing and and tears and anger and and. Uh, but well, I think the tears are him personally. Mostly me. Mostly me. But um, and and you know we have these great collaborators. I mean, uh, you know, Kevin Pardo and Minna Brighton are always like so supportive and so willing to get everything going. But um, but like that 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 watchability factor. Like we really want. Like I know specifically, Lana and I watch these movies a lot. Like at our, our movies. Like to to try to make sure is it well, is it following does, the fiction does, we want? Is it? Yeah, he does all the post production editing, uh, yeah. video editing, and, and 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 special effects, and I do all the sound design. So right. we both end up watching the film 10,000 times to do yeah. our work. And it, it is interesting that like this one of the, of, of the stuff that we've done, um, it doesn't make me cringe after the hundredth time. Like I'm still having fun. I still feel like I'm there, you know, we're having a great time. Um, yeah. You know, and- For me uh, it feels kind of like, what, what's interesting is the fact that the characters are sort of meta, meta biographical as opposed to straight autobiographical. Yeah. Um, 
it does, and because of the fact that we did the, the scouting trip ahead of time, we hung out there. When I watch it now, I, I do kind of put myself, I, I sort of see myself through through Aaron in a lot of ways. Like, as I wrote, a lot of the lines are things that I would say if I was with Lana and she's trying to do something crazy. I'd be like, no, we got to get the fuck out of here right now. Sorry if I could swear. But, um, but then when I watch it now, it kind of just feels like a memory footage and I, I i've said on a number of interviews before i don't think of this as found footage as much as i think of it as a fa- a vacation footage film like because the whole idea was to make it feel like some of the things i did back when i was on straight on video cassette where you would be editing in camera you just start the camera rolling stop it rolling you're you're stop at a roadside stand you're getting lunch you 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 know turn it on you take a picture of your meal and the people around you you stop it it's not edited it's completely linear the story is happening as it unfolded and as those characters chose to capture those moments and uh i think that's part of the believability of the whole thing now did you start right. the project thinking found footage not entirely I mean, actually, I think it was your idea, Maron, at some point, because yeah. we were trying like to tell the story. Yeah. yeah, we were trying to. So the, the story of Aurora um, Daniel is a true, sad tragedy. Um, and it did take place in Fortierville, which is next to the town where my family's cottage is. And I had been up there looking for inspiration to what are we going to write about? What's a cool story that's like creepy that we could do something and found that story, and Maron was like, yeah, I mean, I get that it's a brutal, tragic tale, but what's our story? We're not gonna do, a, like, a, you know, biopic on that. Like, we're gonna do something, you know, what would what would our story be? And he actually came up with, because we were, it took so long for us to try to break a story, and so finally he was like, what if we just wrote this about us writing this fucking story, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, and, and then we can do it found footage and save a ton of money. And so, yeah, we were not originally like, yeah, let's do found footage horror, but it, we wanted to do something again as fast as we could with as little money as possible and still make it good um, with this great location and a great cast. But it didn't necessarily start that way. And I think that once we decided to like really just make it about sort of ourselves and the conversations that we've had and, our, you know, whatever, our journey, um, I think that's when it all kind of like, I don't know, fell together. And, and just yeah, fell. it started to kind of write itself. You know, once we started doing that, it, we just were able to flow on things. But like, again, if you, I, we had mentioned Committed a while ago. Like if you look at Committed, like both Lana and I want to do something that looks beautiful, that sounds beautiful, that is touching and, and you know, emotionally impactful. And if you watch something like Committed, you'll see more of the kind of work that we want to do. But it's very difficult to, to do that on a, on a larger scale. And it's very difficult to do it you know, on the on in terms of like the star power we have now, you know, Lana is great on camera and everything, and, and she's you know as we're doing more work, I think people are recognizing that. But um, but I'm not you know. But you're not a marquee name, you know. Right. So it's, right. when you don't have star power, I think found footage is is a, is a really good choice because people I've I've been reading you know I'm on a bunch of found footage uh, groups on Facebook. I'm reading what they say, and a lot of them they actually feel like you know. It's, they, they feel ripped off if there's a recognizable actor or yeah. actress. Oh, yeah. If it's yeah. found footage, it's like, I don't want to recognize it because it does. It feels more real when I don't know who they are. Take but, you out of the film. Yeah. 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 And I, I do think I do think that especially for this story, it's it's I mean, some people have said they're totally spooked by this movie and other people are like, oh, my God, that wasn't scary at all. But. In general, I actually think the found footage format worked much better for this story because it kind of felt like, hey, this is happening right there. 
Like this is actually happening to real people. They're having real mundane conversations about things and they're doing it through their eyes, not a director's eyes, even though obviously I was very involved in how that was shot. But when you watch it, it's really voyeuristic. In fact, more than voyeuristic, it feels like you are one of them in a lot of ways. So the camera kind of jumps between people. You could be any one of them hanging out. You know, you're on the couch next to them smoking a joint or something, right? Like that's the feeling that I wanted to get. We had, yeah. uh, just for just a quick little background, we had spent actually four years working on a comedy um, indie film that is coming out soon. I actually don't know exactly when, um, but it, the process of that took so long and that actually does have stars in it and, and it, it yeah. should be a bigger thing. But we, we had, were kind of coming off of the sort of like restraints of working with another studio that, you know, was funding everything. And we felt like coming out of that, like we just needed to just do something completely ourselves and not involve a, a bigger fish and not feel like we're, you know, sacrificing some of our artistic integrity for what they want. You know, we just, we just wanted to do something totally different. And I think that's, that's one of the reasons why we kind of just went this route. We're like, yeah, this is about us. And we're just a little bit burned out that we spent four years on a movie that hasn't been released yet. And we're going to talk about that in this film. And we do. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's more meta, but there, there will be another film coming out with us uh, at some point soon. That's a comedy with people. In it. <laughs> I can't say anything about it. Uh, yeah. I, I love those little tidbits of like reality, especially when there's like, when they turn out to be cathartic. I don't know. Also, Mehran, good good choice with the third act switch, like not just taking that Aurora story. Because if you normally in found footage, we get the like, we were talking about this a couple weeks ago with films like uh, Phoenix Forgotten. You basically get like a faux documentary set up for a mm -hmm. third act that is a found footage film. Where uh -huh. yeah. in, in you, you, you kind of. You know, now that I'm thinking back on it, that's probably why I, I didn't see a, a kleptomaniac stealing a Necronomicon. It's you, re, you really you took the genre in a, in a different direction. I don't know. I'm I'm excited that you all made this movie. And I'm curious if uh, now that you're in a bunch of found footage Facebook groups, uh, <laughs> have you talked about doing anything else in the genre? Yeah, I think I would say from my position, it's like it's it's almost like a. I guess you could say it's a golden handcuffs without the money right now, because yeah. like, I, I know that's what people want to know. Lon, Lon and I have had a lot of conversations, but I, I really do want to make a beautiful cinematic film. Um, but I, I, I didn't think there was much like this, this movie kind of ends. Um, but Lon and I have been talking about stuff, you know, like for, for a sequel, we've been writing things. And like, I think there is a bit more legs in the, uh, in the curse verse. As it were, first verse, I like that. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Now we, we we do have a sequel, like an outline right now for a sequel, yeah. and um, yeah. yeah, you guys might actually. I'm not going to say much, but the tentative idea is that it's actually about like streamers, like podcasters, like yourself, okay. have a show. Yeah about paranormal shit and one's Stop. like, hold on, <laughs> one's a believer and one isn't, and that's their show, right, okay. so that's interesting to podcasters and to, to, to streamers and stuff like that, because I think that's something that you have a lot of right now, it's like everybody's trying to like make their mark in the streaming universe, and you know, so we kind of want to go that route, but now, um, now yeah. be careful though, for a sequel, so. so here's the thing, earlier you mentioned Hell House 3, and we, we talked to Stephen Cognetti twice on here, uh, the director-writer of those. And we had him on when he 
originally had put out Hell House. And I remember that that film grew out of a cult following on Amazon Prime. And I was talking to him and he was like, yeah, we're going to do another one. And he like he's just like Mehron. He was like, I don't really want to make another found footage movie, but people want me to. And I remember telling him, like, dude, do what you got to do. Like, don't crowbar into the genre again. Like, normally uh, normally I beg every guest we have on here to come into the genre because Mm -hmm. we always want more. I mean, we're film programmers, so it's like, please give us more. But if you watch Hell House 1, 2, and 3, you can tell. Like, 2 and 3 is like an exposition dump where he's trying to fill up people with lore. And it's like, dude, these should not have been found footage movies. But... Two's not. I mean, he's got, he's got like a raw talent to build a scare. So they're mm-hmm. not like, they're not like completely uh, f- films that I would like disregard. But you can tell his heart was not in the format. I think that's why we haven't actually cracked this totally yet. Is because like it really like it has to be, it has to be better. It can't be as good. It can't be like it has to be better. And that doesn't mean bigger. That doesn't mean bigger budget. It means that the story has to actually connect. And we we can't forget what is good about and, and what Christopher is really about, which is for me, it's this story of these three people. It's the story of this of this woman who wants to succeed and will throw caution to the wind. And, and, and it's about another guy who is who, you know, his not at the end of his role, but is frustrated that things haven't gone his way. And, and, and it's about this sort of trickster that hangs out with them and, and the dynamic between them and getting to know them personally, as opposed to just as characters like that's the core of this. And so the question is finding the heart of that in another story that also continues the lore. Right. And it possibly expands. Sounds like you got it, man. Like, like just yeah. from that, you, you, you clearly understand. Um, yeah. I don't know. We actually excited. talked about the idea of maybe making a sequel that wasn't found footage, um, yeah. just as a, just as an idea. And when I started reading again, those, the, all of the found footage groups and they, that question has been posed a lot of times. Like, what do you guys think it was the Blair Witch sequel that isn't found footage? Is yeah, it's not right? found footage. Um, and people are like, no, we hate it because they should have stuck true to, you know, the found footage style. Oof, that is whack. Oh my, my god. <laughs> I'm going for another injury here. Uh, I thought you were yeah. having a haunting. <laughs> watch yeah, watch yeah. the Blackwell ghost. Uh, what you just did is half of the films. <laughs> yeah. Just banging yeah. on the walls. Yeah. Okay, that's a good one. We'll just do more crash bam boom yeah hey they're terrifying (laughs) it's kind of yeah they're terrifying and clark's been watching them in a hotel room so yeah i know amazon keeps recommending them to me and i'm i'm like it knows that you know i i read footage footage for stuff and everything it must it must know because it really wants me to watch all these the one that i did watch was the last exorcism um and i really enjoyed that one actually I thought that yeah. was really, really pretty good. I love the idea of this like pastor guy, you know, who's like a faux uh, exorcist. Uh, Here's an example, actually, of something we talked about earlier. The fact that I recognize that guy from Better Call Saul. Yep, you beat me to it. Took you out of it? It took me out of it because I know that guy. Like I know him. He's very good. And I was like, okay, yeah. So it, it's not, there's there's like a scary veil that is removed because I recognize who he was. Yeah. Yeah, it's really hard to buy into that alternate reality. Also, harder, yeah. another franchise where the sequel's not found footage. 
Oh, is there a sequel to that? Uh, yeah. yeah. It's also unwatchable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it starts off really strong and then it, yeah, it it goes like a weird carry route. It's not good. Okay. I mean, I get why you go why you don't go found footage because it's so hard to explain that camera and that is something that Lana and I argued beat each other up over about like how do we make this thing happen? How do you know we racked our brains so that it really does feel I mean, I feel like we're pretty successful in in justifying the camera almost all the time. Even the weird camera angles that we set the camera down, like there, there's like always story that sort of supports that. Yeah. And, you know, don't get too caught up on that anymore. Like the the stigma that the genre used to carry has shifted. So oh. if you look at like the fear footage films, there's three mm-hmm. of them. <clears throat> that man, our, our buddy, he he made three films for like no money. And really, what he's got is like a great premise, and uh-huh. uh, like like he's in the films, and like part two is it opens up with him like he's filming himself, and he's like, "Hey, I just found this movie, and the dude in it looks just like me, but I didn't make this movie, and it's oh. just him with the fear footage one." <laughs> it's like, dude, people will buy into that, and as long as you got ideas, like, don't worry about why you're filming. Like it, it really like those days are gone. I mean, with the last exorcism, people were killing that movie for having background music. Yeah. And it's well, like the, the yeah. times have changed. Like yeah, it's yeah. fine. Just as long as your heart's in it, people they're, they're going to follow you. But mm-hmm. you, you have kind of stepped in a bear trap here. The found footage community is kind of scattered, but they're, they're voracious and they want they more. Are, yeah. 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 And you're looking at two of them right here. And yeah, we're assholes. Yeah, I loved loved your film. Thank you very much. That means a lot. Now, Randy, are you still over there? Is it? Well, I'm going to ask which is the one that hated it because well, I think there was one of one of you guys was like, I'm not even going to say anything or something. I forget what it was. But I was like, I need to ask that. No, guy. I don't think so. I think they were just talking about the Casey stuff, weren't they? The Casey Nolan mm-hmm. stuff. I don't know. Yeah. No, one of us. Hey, no, no way. No. I thought there was one guy who like who was like. I don't know who's, who's like, I don't know, maybe I'm just... I mean, look, I'll take the hit. <laughs> I'll take the hit. I'm fine with that. I don't know. Also, we have talked about this film like three times in the past two weeks. That's awesome. Yeah, I actually got shit about it yesterday. Like, oh, you keep talking about this movie. And I'm like, well, yeah, there's probably a reason. You should go watch it. Wait, did you, you talked about it on three different shows or just personally? You it just, about it? No, no, on the show. It just kept oh. coming up. I think in the one we just recorded and went up yesterday, I mentioned uh, because Thomas had reached out and he was like, dude, you were right. The leg thing was uh, that it wasn't yeah. scripted. Oh, yeah. So, so I, had to rub that in my face. Yeah, I just had to rub okay. it in his face. So I made a point to like bring it up in the beginning. Now, yeah. did, did Randy bail? I know he had to meet a friend. No, I'm still here. I think I'm still recording. Okay, so. you're still there. I'm still here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sorry about that, Randy. Do you have to go? Because No. No, it's cool. Okay. Yeah, when, when, have we ever given, when have we ever given a shit about Randy's I'm, time? I'm, I'm trying to be better. And the <laughs> other thing is I still have a lot of questions. I want to ask them about like the light gag in the road. I'll, I'll give you one question. We've gone an hour 15. Okay, okay. Well, how about like we we kind of skipped over that and to me that was one of those uh, moments that really rang as like a true urban legend. And I I did you all make that up on the spot, or is that like a real? No, it's kind of a combination of something that Lana actually did, and then we expanded that. Do you guys? By the way, quick question before she because she didn't tell the story, it would be great. Um, 
Did you guys notice the light flickering at the end of the scene? Yeah. Okay, because some people miss that altogether. So I'm just curious if like that, because that's like the little subtle payoff at the very, very end. Now, here's here's the thing that we do differently. Like part of the reason why we run um, the Unnamed Footage Festival is because I know a lot of found footage films get made with no intention or like they never even think about it screening in a theater. But the thing is, when you screen in the theater, you know, the image kind of becomes your world. So when yeah. we watch things here, we, we do it on a projector that uh, we've dedicated a whole wall to. That's awesome. And the yeah. whole room, all the chairs are facing the wall like we're in some weird uh, Blair Witch that's cult. Cool. But <laughs> the thing is, you know, it's, it makes it a lot easier to catch that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the Easter eggs. So Very that's good. why I was making a point. I'm like, I got to yeah. commend you for that. Yes, you, 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 you want to yeah. Well, no, just, yeah, um, I'm glad that you guys saw it because it, it is very subtle and it was intentional that we were like, we're going to make it flicker, but it's not going to be that one. It's going to be the one farther in the distance. So they were actually standing at the wrong light all along. And if you kind of pay attention to, uh, I don't want to give too much away, but uh, essentially every time that they notice weird stuff going on with the neighbors and like the townspeople, it's like always at the same time. It's always like one in the morning or one fifteen a.m. It's like we, we wanted to work with that time, and so we think that the light flickers at one a.m. But it actually flickers at one fifteen. So we missed it, and we were at the wrong light altogether. So <laughs> happening in the very background, um, which is one of those little Easter eggs, which I just kind of gave away because I don't think a lot of people see it. But the actual like idea for that just scene was that I have when I brought my friends up there and the drinking age in Canada was is 18 and so when I was 18 I lived in Massachusetts growing up so I would bring my friends up we were 18 and we'd party up at the house and then we'd get wasted at like one in the morning we'd be like guys there's no cars so let's lie in the middle of the road and, the <laughs> and you know and we would and like we you know it, the thing is is like it's so flat and the roads are so long and there's nothing obscuring the landscape. So you can see lights from like three miles away and you can hear a car from like three miles away. Like seriously, that's how empty and vast it is up there. Um, more so in the winter when there's no leaves on trees and you have like no insulation from sound. And so now I only did that with my friends in the summertime because we weren't idiots, but we decided if we're shooting this in the winter, it would make it creepier and just, up the stakes a little bit and then if a car were to slip on the ice while they're doing this shit you know and if that's all happening at the same time it's almost as if this energy that's sort of following them this evil that they've maybe stepped a little bit into is causing this to happen um or or is it you know i think that's sort of the question or or we want people to kind of wonder like oh is that did the car go by and almost hit them like because they're fucking shit up like and then you see the light flicker right as the car passes, and it's almost like it's all happening together, like the ghosts or someone is saying, like, stop coming for them. Doing, you know? Yeah. And also no. allow me to get my a, a shot that's kind of similar to Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, where they're laying on the, on the ice. So I got as close as I could within the restraints of doing a found footage. And it just so happened that the night we scheduled to shoot that ended up being the coldest night while we were shooting. It was negative nine degrees. And we were laying on icy road and, you know, and I had, I I had a cane that had um, spikes in it just for our outdoor scenes so that I wouldn't die. And, you know, I was using that. It was helping me get up and down, but we had to keep doing that scene over and over again. And it was so cold that between takes, we'd run into one of our vans 
and heat up for a few minutes and then run back out and do it again and you know on ice and so it was it was like it was a challenge physically uh for all of us that night yeah now did anyone actually come close to being hit when you were doing it 18 and drunk no no again because you can you can you know from like so it's like when you can hear a train off in the distance like you're like that's when i'm not going to be on the tracks like yeah it's like you hear it from so far away and again the lights like you can actually even see the lights coming from so far away you have plenty of time to get up and get out of there you know but it's it's if someone were to not off you know they got a little too drunk or a little too stoned and they're just passed out on the road and have to wake them up and you know, why didn't Kevin wake right up? Was that something to do with this sort of paranormal energy that was around them? Or was it because he smoked too much weed? You know, it's all sort of, <laughs> I think, open for interpretation. Yeah, you also had streetlights there. I, in So where we live, I used to live like down the street from, uh, do you know the, the movie Bullet? The Steve McQueen movie? Yeah, Steve McQueen. McQueen. Yeah. So there's a, a car chase that takes place in a Guadalupe Canyon, which is like just a little stretch of road out here. But I remember we used to drive out there to this little like hidden town, Brisbane, out here in San Francisco. And what we would do is turn the headlights off and it would just be pitch black. Yeah. yeah. And in, in yeah. my head, I just kept thinking like, oh, you know, somebody driving down that road doing their own thing. Yeah, their own thing. Yeah. You know? yeah. I don't know. Uh, it just it, the caution to the wind tale that is the curse of a roar, like the partying element, like yeah. Lana with the wine. That stuff yeah. is such a great part of the film. I don't know. Y'all, That's y'all great. killed it. Thank you. Thank you so much. We didn't have to dig too deep to find that one, did we? <laughs> yeah. I've never gotten drunk on wine. <laughs> 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 never complain that all this is so hard and we work so hard. That's never happened before. Yeah. Well, uh, Lana Mayron, again, thank you guys so much uh, for joining. Uh, again, we, we love the film. Apparently, I hated the film. I'll take the hit on that. Um, but, you know, w- w- you, you guys, you got fans for life over here. And, uh, you know, uh, again, we'd love to talk to you again. So, but anything uh, that you want to plug? I, I know that you said that Committed is out on YouTube, and uh, we it can go ahead and check out on that. Uh, what, what, anything else you want to plug? Um, I mean, just keep your eye out. You know, we're hoping, uh, right now we're working on, on getting uh, Curse of Aurora released in the UK. Um, so yep. that's kind of a priority. We've got a lot of people from overseas um, ask for it. So we're actually trying to self-distribute out there. And hopefully that'll happen. Um, but yeah, I think just kind of keep your eye out. Because we've, we've definitely, we've got a bunch of stuff that is sort of uh, in the in the writer's room that we're working on. Yeah. And we do have that comedy. We want to stay in the horror family, for sure. Yeah. I was going to say, we do have that comedy film, which we don't have any release information on, but possibly within the next year. So that's right. something, you know, keep up with us on our social medias. Um, I'm at Mehran Tergoli on, on Instagram, and we have a Curse of Aurora page on Facebook, and we have curseofaurora.com. So, um, yeah, Curse of Aurora is on Insta, Twitter, Facebook, all of it. Um, and I guess a lot of people have been uh, reviewing us on Letterboxd, or is that? Cool. Yeah, Letterboxd, yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Keep us updated with the comedy, too. Like, Pocus, yeah. we'll totally check that out. Well, it's actually technically found footage because it's a mockumentary. So, right. oh. love it. 